Carnivorous couch, shit happens once a week. It swallows us for two hours when we try to sleep. It forces us to watch a film about which we then speak. Carnivorous couch with Brady and Rob. Pop our top shoe, that one. Kind of spilled yeah. out a little bit. Um, hey everybody! Hey everybody! Hey everybody! Welcome to another episode of Carnivorous Couch, the podcast where we do a spoiler-full film a week with two film geeks. I'm here with Tessa Lynn Cox. Uh, hi. <laughs> She's Holy our name. specialist wow. guest. Okay. All right. And uh, also we got Bradford Thomas Larson. Hi, it's Bradford. Me. No, that's not my name. <laughs> Oh yeah, that's right. That's your that's sister's so husband's Rob. name. That's his brother-in-law's last name. Bradford is an name. English name. We Irish, we hate the English. Yes, except, yes, I get it. Except I have some English in me, so fine. How confusing, Brady. You've you've stirred up confusing feelings about my <coughs> muddy heritage. Yes, of course I have. Within um, my, my loins. <laughs> so we did 1941's Citizen Kane, and that's cute. Yeah, that's a natural transition. <laughs> yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. Muddy loins. Uh, the muddy loins of Orson Welles. <laughs> Indeed. There he goes. He doesn't like this. Um. How did you uh, guys like watching this? Didn't just say, hey. Well, it ain't that time. We're not doing how did you like it yet. I was just saying. No. Did you guys have a good time? Oh, uh, I had a good yeah, time. Yeah. With, with y'all, with Orson, uh, with with all the the boys and girls of, of this film. Did you see that uh, oh, Citizen Kane's mom is the uh, mother from Bewitched? Yeah, and Dora. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, she's fun. That's right. Uh, that I'm trying to think Did of she just keep calling Charles by the wrong name like all um, the time. Yeah, yes. <laughs> I'm just trying In to the deleted scenes. Yeah. Yeah. No, but she, uh what's her name? Agnes Moorhead. Moorhead. Okay, yeah, that that is right. I'm like, I know she's Endora. a famous lady, like a a name that you hear, a household name mm-hmm. as it were said. Um so yeah, we watched 1941 Citizen Kane uh, cuz Brady hadn't seen it. And now we're talking about it. And uh, now I have. Do you want to do the plot synopsis, Brady? I think do I? I, I think before we I do the try. plot synopsis, we should play uh, a little introduction Okay. of Citizen Kane here. All right, I'll let you take that what, away, uh, Tess. Should I just push? It's YouTube. <laughs> you know, use YouTube. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm going Citizen Kane is a modern American story about a man called Kane, Charles Foster Kane. I don't know how to tell you about him. There's so many things to say. I'll turn you over instead to the characters in the picture. As you'll see, they feel very strongly on the subject. Charles Foster Kane is... Sure, he started the war. But do you think if it hadn't been for Mr. Kane, the United States would have the Panama Canal? Charles Foster Kane is nothing more or less than a communist! Kane, governor... (laughs) Listen, when the voters of this state and Mrs. Kane learn what I found out about Mr. Kane and a certain little blondie named Susan Alexander, he couldn't be elected dog catcher. I'm going to skin Mr. Charles Foster Kane alive. He looks like such a politician. Emily, I hear you've been stepping out with Charlie Kane. Of course I love him. I gave him $60 million. Well, of course I love him. He's the richest man in America. But all the girls say about him at first. But you know... I can't help but admire him. He's crazy. He's wonderful. 
Ladies and gentlemen, I don't know what you'll think about Mr. Kane. So, if you wanted some visuals along with that, that's essentially the preview. Oh, finish it. Oh, okay, we want to finish it? The whole I, thing? I, All right. I can't imagine. You, just you see, I play the part myself. Well, oh, yeah, Kane is, is like a hero and a scholar. The microphone, like, no account. A well guy, a great lover, a great American citizen. But Orson Welles isn't on it. He's just a microphone. Depends on who's talking yeah. about him. What's Probably the real in a wheelchair. About Charles well, he started Foster as Kane. a microphone before. I wish you'd come to this theater when Citizen Kane plays here. True. Decide for yourself. There it goes. It's so concerning. Cool. Thanks for indulging me on that because um, I think that trailer, that was only half of the trailer and it is delightful. It is so, I don't understand why they marketed the movie using that because it doesn't tell you a whole lot about the movie. Well, I'm guessing none of the scenes are from the movie. It's very, it's like, it's like almost comedic. I'm guessing that trailer. In fact, it, I would say it is comedic just compared different to back then. No, no, no. This they did different stuff, you know. This is di- this is not. It's not like that. Like this was like also weird for its time, from what I've read. Yeah, it's but like they didn't. This was just kind of like not what you do. Yeah, Orson Welles was that kind of guy too, though. Yeah, who, who did what he wanted to do. But yeah, but things you know, from what I know of old trailers, there was more of a freewheeling conversational approach to them, where you'd be like. Oh, here's Lionel Barrymore. He's in the movie. You're going to enjoy him. There's lots of action. <laughs> yeah, that's very true. Oh, and the divine Miss Marion Davies. You're looking good today, Miss Davies. But I'm wondering if, and you know, I only like brushed up a little looking at Wikipedia, but I'm wondering if like maybe in the way that he like kind of created a lot of the techniques that we like kind of really attribute to him now like mm-hmm. maybe if that's one of those you things where it's like he, the trailer was like oh wow like maybe he's he invented that technique yeah well i mean there's the int- he does seem to capitalize on what the pictures were uh, i'm gonna uh, sit here now okay but well, yes um so plot synopsis <laughs> do we do we want to talk about what happens you know when it's if that trailer didn't, we didn't wrap it up for you. It's a spoiler-full podcast, everybody. But honestly, if you haven't seen Citizen Kane yet, then I'm not sure what to tell you. Hey, <laughs> no shame, guys. I no sp- spoilers. Just it's hard to spoil something that's been around for seventy years. Right. Like years. Uh, I mean, if Animaniacs was making jokes about this show in the '90s, I'm pretty sure anyone that could conceivably be listening to this podcast already knows pretty much most of the points that might be spoilery. Indeed. I think I found the problem. I poke. Oh! <laughs> well, oh, the dear. dog gets a mic set up? No, he's the one causing it to go snap, snap, crackle, pop. That's okay. Should we'll I t- move him? No, we'll be fine. He's kind of like the studio's bodega cat at yeah. this point. Indeed. Uh, who wants to plot synopsize? Let me go until I fuck it up. Well, uh, right. Brady is the newest initiant of this film. So, yeah. Right. Uh, what did you learn today? What it, well, I learned the plot of Citizen Kane Which by watching Which <laughs> we'd it. love to hear. Uh, yes. So, we open up on a big palatial estate at night behind a locked chain link fence gate. 
and on that gate is a sign saying no trespassing and inside the mansion here's a quick question the our view of it from there is that like a matte painting it's definitely a matte painting and am i pronouncing the word matte painting right yes okay uh so in the distance is this very i would say gothic looking uh not quite complete castle one of its uh spires is still you know unconstructed it's just infrastructure or rebar or whatever. So, um, in other words, it's kind of like Hearst Castle. Uh, yeah. Hearst yeah. <laughs> Castle. Oh, wait, is Hearst Castle uncompleted, too? Uh, it was at this point. Okay. Interesting. Thank you, Rob. I'm counting on you guys for these yeah. period details. So, inside, as you all already probably know, unless you're of a certain younger age, because maybe they don't do as many Citizen Kane references as they did when us three were growing I up. I mean... Uh, Face Family Guy does them too. So like, it's yeah. a sled. It's a sled. <laughs> Rob, that's not till the end. Okay, inside <laughs> the sled, a, a the dying man's lips character. in close up mouth the words Rosebud. And as you all probably know, a snow globe falls from his hands, goes bouncing down the stairs, breaks, and no, it just uh, falls on the floor. No, it breaks. No, it falls on the floor. It doesn't go bouncing down the stairs. It bounces down some kind of thing before it breaks, doesn't it? Yeah. Mm. There's a step. You no, know, it just kind of rolls, and then it goes ka-dunk, ka crash. He's on the bed, and it falls on the floor. Because it doesn't break when it first falls, so it has to fall more in order to break. Yes, we know. Anywho, we know how gravity works, Brady. The man is dead, uh, and his <coughs> nurses... You don't, you don't know him yet, but he's dead. Uh, and his nurses put his arms into coffin position. And the rest that we learn is in a newsreel, which I th thought was kind of cool because we kind of mm -hmm. see the movie in miniature um, before we go and visit it in more detail. Well, the newsreel basically just says, uh, he was this and he did things and then he right. died. Right. But things we will revisit, such as the article of him having the affair with the singer. Uh, but yes, what we learn is that Charles Foster Kane, based uh, on the publishing magnet William Randolph Hearst of Hearst Castle, uh, it was a great man, right? It, in capital letters, he's a great man. He had a media empire, a publishing empire. Uh, there's a lot of parallels you can find of the modern day, like with a Fox News kind of a deal. Uh, he was a self-branded kind of populist man of the people. The, the American people want this given to them simple and entertainingly. I'm going to found USA Today. Um, and, you know, we learned that he had affairs throughout his life. He had an involvement with the Spanish-American War. Um, and that eventually, the message the newsreel gives us is that the times passed him by. He was no longer a relevant figure. But, uh, and also in a way that maybe rings very true to today, he's a figure that's kind of reality TV-esque for his day. They say he made the news... Uh, of himself. He kind of was the news as much as he made the news. So that even once he wasn't as influential of a newsmaker, he was this titanic, mythic legend of a man. Uh, and we watched him fall. And then we see the famous shot of the New York Stock Exchange ticker, I think, that just says, Charles Foster Kane is dead. And then, <laughs> lights up. Well, that's, that's what we've got so far. Right, yeah. Like, we get brought into the newsroom, and then they're going like, okay, so that's a newsreel. We need more. We need more. And then they say, his last word, it was Rosebud. 
Why don't you go around the country and talk to all the people he ever knew and find out what Rosebud means? Mm-hmm. So, and so who are these people who can shed light on this man, this enigma of a man, Charles Foster Kane? Well, you guys know uh, the names of the actual characters more than I do. Let's see. One of them, is it Anderson? Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm not going to be so good on that. Um, once his, his <laughs> manager, Bernstein or whatever. Bernstein. Yeah, then there's uh, like... I think it's Leonard, who was his creative... Uh, oh, no, Leland. Leland, sorry. Oh, uh, that's okay. Who was his... Yeah, i, I got to remember, I kept thinking his, Leland uh, Palmer. drama critic at the paper. Yeah. And yep. friend, li- like, long-time friend. Yes. He was there when he started running the newspaper thing. Uh, then there's also the... His second wife. His second wife. Uh, kind of... Well, I guess by the time we catch up with her, she is a singer, sort of. She has her own club. Yeah, and I mean, as... Um, well, we'll just go ahead and pepper this in. Now, as uh, he's based on William Randolph Hearst, his second wife is kind of based on Marion Davis. Oh. No. Uh, which was not lost on people at the time. Well, okay, so I was just reading, like, the entire Wikipedia page, and they, like, really heavily contest that it was... that that she was based on... Uh, Marion Davis. Well, yeah, Wells said so. Said he didn't think so as well, but he said that later. And well, there's I mean, like we don't think it too far into there's it. There's some citations about that. I, I don't know. I'll have to but find him. It was the public perception, and it kind of hurt and her it's, career it's a little bit. It's why he didn't want mention of the um, film in any of his papers. I yeah. think specifically the mention, like uh, her being. Yeah. Her them believing that that she was the the character. Oh yes. So anyway, that that's a thing that that exists somewhere um between here and there and i just thought i'd say that that was the case um any rate so he goes to the the davies or not davies proxy (laughs) first and she's withholding there's she's going to be the first to tell the story and she's like now you get out of here like it's too soon i'm emotional she doesn't want to do it so he goes to the manager bernstein first right and bernstein uh, allows the story to take place pretty much from the beginning because Bernstein knew the man who first took Charles Foster Kane as a young boy from his boarding school and his parents, uh, and that man's name was Thatcher. Yes. Uh, yeah. Oh, and he goes digging in the Thatcher Library first to find information on on that. Yeah, the the guy wrote a memoir and he's got a manuscript and it's just like okay, pages seventy eight. Like some like some Nazi room. woman is like like. You are not Sorry. allowed to use any citations from Mr. Thatcher's manuscript. Also, uh, Charles Foster Kane, <laughs> he's between 78 yeah. and 103, pa- those pages. Some BDSM librarian is like, Th- you shall not. <laughs> you know. Um, yep, we all watch the same. We movie. all watch the same BDSM librarian movie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, the direction it could have gone. So he goes there and reads a bunch of stuff, and they use these incidences to give us flashbacks, right? Yes, and that allows us to jump in now chronologically back in 1871 at the boarding school when Kane is taken away uh, in order to become a rich man because he has claims to, like, a, a rich mining company in Colorado. Uh, and I'm, I'm not entirely sure plot-wise on why he needs to go with them to have that claim to it. She just wants him to not 
be living in the middle of nowhere, I think. Like, like yeah, like live like the man you're like. going to become yeah, kind of a like, thing. Yeah, she's like, if you're going to be rich, you have to go be a rich guy in the city. Like, I think that's basically it. Yeah, and I know maybe I'm missing... <laughs> that's extra sad, because that's like, eh, do you? Yeah, it's like, yeah, like, like yeah, his mother abandoned him. <laughs> yeah, I'm, maybe like, I'm... like, I don't want to deal with you. I want to deal with, like, this... I don't know, mining I have to do now. Do, do, you, do, you, do you have to? Uh, and so um, in some some very nicely edited sequences, oh, well, first, Kane does not want to go as a young boy. He's very joyful um, about living in, in this snowy place where he lives. He's making a snowman when we meet him. Um, and he hits uh, Thatcher with his sled, the famous sled. But he is eventually taken away. And in a series of uh, well-edited sequences, he kind of very quickly grows up under the wing of Mr. Thatcher. And when he gets into his 20s, he starts thinking, you know, whatever the interests he initially comes up with that make him rich, he doesn't want anything to do with that, with real estate, mining, any of that kind of resource tycoon shit. He wants... You You think it might be fun to run a newspaper? Thatcher does not like the idea of Kane going into newspaper. Uh, I'm w- would the Wait, reason was that be that one Thatcher? Or oh, that's sorry, Tess. I'm switching out your mic because I know why yours is the one that's making it go. I think it's just a bad mic. Okay. Yeah, Thatcher's his caretaker, and we eventually get to the day where Kane is emancipated. He can do whatever he wants, but Thatcher's like, you don't want to do a newspaper, and it's the idea that like that's kind of a shaky enterprise compared to the other things he's invested in. Is that what it is, Rob? What do you think? Um, sorry, I was dealing with an audio issue, so hopefully that was I was so it. busy looking at all of the like lovely shot compositions and stuff that I just like couldn't tell you who any characters paying were. Attention to I was this like I recognize I recognize Kane. Well, like I was paying attention to what was going on, but it's like it took me a while to figure out like who Jebediah was <laughs> and like compared to like Thatcher or that other old guy. What's his name? Which There's one? another old guy. Bernstein. The Bernstein. So Bernstein. He starts young. Bernstein and Thatcher. I like mixed up like half. The <laughs> anyway, sorry. This is not uh, part of Bernstein the plot synopsis. Bernstein is young when Thatcher's just... old. But anyway, so Keynes says, you know what? Like, you know, lest you think this is a very black and white story of like, the, the perils of being rich. Kane starts, at least, as not wanting to be the kind of rich guy that Thatcher is. One of the famous lines, which I first heard in a White Stripe song, and only now know where it comes from, huh. is he asks, Thatcher asks, like, all right, you're, like, you're throwing off your responsibilities, like, casting all this stuff off, anything I've taught you, what would you like to have been? And he says, everything you hate. Like, I, I stand in opposition to you. I want to be there with people. I don't want to be the kind of ivory tower, often, <laughs> interestingly enough, often a castle alone kind of millionaire. Yeah. I want to be a man of the people. He uh, starts out nice. But, but we also can see anyone familiar with the branding of Fox News and things like that can also see where it's already problematic, where he's like, I'm going to give them the messages that I know they want, yeah. and I'm going to make it fun. Uh, and, you know, later it gets criticized by Leland for it. It's like, you just tell people what you think they want. Like, you don't, what do you know of what they actually want? Uh, this is all in service of you. But he at least starts off uh, very redeemable. 
I mean, I don't mm-hmm. think that he ever becomes unredeemable per se. But I do. Yeah. Okay. So we can get into that. Um, I mean, I guess you're right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But uh, he comes up fast in the news world. Uh, we get a sequence with a big party, and they're interviewing Bernstein about him. Um, what does Bernstein say? Because I really like those scenes, but this is also fresh for me, being it, it being my first time, that if anyone wants to fill in kind of the Bernstein scenes a little more than I can do. Well, I, and I haven't seen it. Like, I, I don't know if Rob's even seen it since we were in college. So that I, was years well, ago. It's been a while. Bernstein, Decade. I would say, is our... Decade and a half. Kind of one of our more sympathetic narrators. Because uh, he... He gives the movie kind of the melancholy that I think helps it go, mm-hmm. which is he says about, you know, Cain being a rich man. Now, you can quarrel with the logic of this in these days when it's very hard for anyone to make a living. But what he says is in terms of putting money first over everything is that it's very easy to make a lot of money if all that you want to do is to make a lot of money. And so Something that I think is more true then than it is now. More, I, I bet that is the case. <laughs> but the, uh, the emotional logic of it is, you know, the, the sadness of allowing yourself only to become caught up in the pursuit sure. of becoming rich. Um, and what we kind of get in these opening scenes is it reminded me of Wolf of Wall Street kind of, right? Mm-hmm. Where it's like, you know that this doesn't seem ethical, and yet they're all so charismatic and their friendship is so believable and lived in and like they're all having fun together yep. that like it kind of reminded me of that where it's like I know this is going nowhere good but these guys are having fun and their their dialogue is funny and they have a closeness with each other so this is a lot of fun to watch even if it's uh, headed in a tragic direction <laughs> right well, when you're all in high school <laughs> drama class together you bond yeah <laughs> I'm sorry. I love Bernstein. I thought that character was great. <laughs> uh, but okay, yeah, so he's, he's kind of the most kindly of his. Uh, you know, the people talking about him, like uh, Leonard, no, uh, Le- freaking Leland, um, is probably the most like slag him off sort of. Well, he's stressed, Rob. He wants a cigar. That's true. The man's been waiting, God knows how long, for a cigar. But yeah, but Bernstein is the one who kind of introduces the Rosebud, like a clue to what Rosebud will become, because he's like, oh, you think this is all just about like whatever his big rich connections or like a lost love is, but like it's a small thing, even if you're a big rich so-and-so, and he tells a story about like seeing a girl on a train once that he still thinks of, and that's the clue that like it could be something small like the sled that is what... Uh, what formed Kane's last word that a small memory like that just some little lost long ago piece of ephemera could be the the clue you're actually looking for and not this bigger piece. well and this this sets up the next segment which is you know he gets married to the the lady right yeah the his first wife niece, niece? president's niece yeah, yeah something like that and um would have been who at the time oh i don't know i think we're in fictional land at this point uh no there is somebody and I specifically didn't bring in my phone. I feel because like we are in fictional land, but then I also feel like, don't they mention real people? Like, you see Teddy Roosevelt in a flashback, like I in mean, the newsreel. Yeah. You definitely get real events, like the, the Spanish-American War. Yeah, so, like, it's taking place in real time. It's just these are fictional people. 
but they're based on real people too. Uh, I mean, <laughs> I don't think the guy he runs for governor against is a real person. No, no, he but he is based on a real person, I think. Oh, sure. That, um, no doubt. But yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, but I think maybe we can assume that, that he the person that she's supposed to be the niece of, even if she's a fictional relative, like the president was the president, whatever right. year this was. So, so at this point, and I think this is where we have to transition over to Leland to get the next piece of the story. We get a very, um, I almost want to call it like the sad version of the married life montage from up where we get like an entire picture of a marriage almost up to present day in just a series of back and forth shots at the breakfast table. And they start off, you know, pretty jocular and pretty kind with each other. But through through these edited sequences, we get one of the other famous lines, which is where she says to him, well, the news is because she has issues with how he's printing news. Mm -hmm. And he answers back, is what, what I tell people it is. So it's kind of in, in this breakfast table sequence, we see uh, a lot of his innocence scrubbed off even though we're getting very quickly, you know, without a lot of backstory, how that happens. We, yeah. we kind of see the hardening of the man in this first marriage and kind of where that first marriage goes to seed, where the love between them kind of gets lost. Right? Yes. Yeah, and I think that what's the line? Something like, uh, what will people think? What yeah, I tell them to think. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's one of those that's classic those. lines that gets... People will take what I tell them to think, you know. And what you d what you don't realize when people quote it is that she actually gets the first part of that line, and he mm -hmm. snaps back at her, cuts her off, even cuts her off. Very rude. If but you yeah, ask me. I mean, he's yeah, very rude, man. He's basically just working on the thing, and uh, working on the paper, and he comes, you, you know, he sees her at breakfast, sees her at dinner, and that's about it. Yep. And then he has a son that he doesn't see much. Yeah, and then he's going to start running for governor, which he does at this point in time. Against J.W. Gettys. Hmm. Ah, yes. Which, whenever they say Gettys, I'm just thinking of the character from Chinatown, <laughs> the Jack <laughs> Getty. <laughs> but, indeed. Uh, yes. And so, around this same time, he ill-advisedly picks up with another woman. I'm, I'm not sure the extent to like what he does at the point that he's caught, but it's I'm enough... I'm not even sure if it's just it's that one time. Weirdly, Ma maybe no, no, that and one I, time. I think that it can't be. Like, I think like the implications of this have to be that they had to have an actual affair, because because you have just deniability. It, it, it just, just yeah. You if if you showed up to her house one time because a coach, a stage coach or whatever they had, then I don't know. Did they have cars yet? Yeah, who gives a shit? Got your um, money. <laughs> like something splashed mud on his nice suit and he went in to get cleaned up and like had a nice evening playing like jamming, having a jam session with her. Like that's not news. You don't go to someone's house and make them write an incriminating letter to like the person's wife. If it's, if it's like a one, th something that happened once and all the doors were opened. Right. I think this is probably another example of shorthand, which the movie needs to do to come in at two hours and also be the epic, like, 50-year, however long saga of a man's life, right? Like, we, we, we need to, like with that breakfast table scene, move very quickly yep. in some way. Yeah. And Wells, and I don't know the full history of, like, how much he innovated here, but I, I've been told it's a lot. Yeah. But, yeah, he, he gets very 
uh, very clever in how to advance time very quickly. I also like don't know what if there were sensors really then yet, but like I'm also wondering if maybe there was like a censorship issue where they couldn't have anyone in the conversation explicitly say there was an affair. Like I'm, I, you might oh, know more Rob. about you might know more about this than me, Rob. Haze code <laughs> because shit. it sounds like maybe some some like haze code or maybe something earlier than that, like kind of bullshit where like they just couldn't get the dialogue in there to make it explicit, to make it clear. Now listen, Wells, the American people don't want to see the hanky-panky. Yeah, I, I actually don't know um, if there's a thing like that. It just, it, that's kind of what it felt like to me, because I'm like, they should be acknowledging that something happened here so that we all understand it wasn't just this one night. And like, I can't believe that it wasn't, because you don't lose your political career over, like, hearsay. Well, I mean, just the guy, like, following him around and this and that. Um, and it, he's, you know, he's saying that, like, he might be dishonest, too. He's like, I'm just going to tell people, and this pa- this story is going to blow you up. And, and I think it's more life. it's more his decision to stay with her that dooms him. Right. Because she's like, if you come with me, they're not going to print it. I think is like kind of like the implication of that, the end of that conversation. It's that, I think it's partly wanting to stay, and I think it's also like a Hamilton um, papers, what do they call it? Reynolds pamphlet the re- moment? Re- yeah, where the he's Hamilton like, papers. Like his pride <laughs> is like, no, I will not be the loser of this situation. Fuck you, you're not blowing me up. I'm, I'm blowing blow myself up. up. This yep. is my story to now tell. I'm going to be governor now. <laughs> nice, Cox. Um... And yet the the um, scene that Ross always loves to quote at me is here, where he's just yelling down at him, I'll send you to Sing Sing, Gettys! Sing yeah. Sing! God, he does not. <laughs> okay, apparently, like, I read in that scene, he had to wear, like, old con- old guy contacts. I don't know why. No one would have noticed he wasn't wearing contacts. But he couldn't see out of them, and I guess he fell, like, ten feet off the set during that scene. Yeah, and like that's chip, when that bro- happened? Chip that's what bones. I read on Wikipedia just now. <laughs> down all those stairs? I don't know if he fell over the railing or down the stairs or what happened, but he like couldn't see and broke his legs or just like ended up in a wheelchair somehow because of that. Oh, wow. Isn't that messed up? Like how, uh, why is uh, he even, painful. why is he wearing contacts? It doesn't make sense. By all rights, it makes no sense. I want to understand why that happened. Anyway, so, we're not even done yet. So Sorry. he makes his decision, and we get one of the most famous images. This movie is just famous images, by the way, mm-hmm. if you didn't know. But one that has been shown a lot lately uh, in the wake of the election, mm-hmm. which is the two newspapers. And it, it's tricky because it, it's kind of making us think just for a second that he's won the election. And then they're like, no, I guess we can't go with this paper. Let's go with the other one. And that one says, widespread voter fraud or yeah. something like that. Well, it's just the plates that they have made up before right. the election because right. it's but so it difficult. But it never to occurred to them because it's his paper to have one ready that says Kane loses. Right. They only have voter fraud and Kane wins. Well, yeah. theoretically, there's no way he could lose. Not to Gettys. Damn no. you, Gettys. Yes, exactly. Um... And so we get to a sad moment in, in the wake of the defeat in the election headquarters. And a shot I love, 
Because, you know, something we didn't mention, and you all know this shot, it's the poster shot, is him uh, at the lectern giving the speech with the giant banner above him. Kind of well, shot from down below, almost a dolly, not a dolly, almost like a Dutch angle, mm-hmm. I want to say. And there's this cool shot once he's lost and he's in the headquarters where there's just a small normal size poster behind him. And he looks, that poster makes him look so tiny just because right. of what we've Can seen. We, this is not really plot synopsis. But what else am I going to talk about? This is where the, the plot. Scene... <laughs> <laughs> I, okay. I don't know. Fair, um, fair point. See, I'm good with like small details like that. Just pointing them out as we it's get. Gr- to and it's great. But I think like, because he's so good with using space, we should have a whole segment about pointing out all the ways he uses space really well. Well, we can come back to the use of space. So, okay. The next plot that kind of develops after he's lost is, um, and in a way, like, you can kind of see it as, like, well, he needs another thing to dominate at, uh, and his cause becomes his second wife. And I'm so sorry, I'm not remembering her name. It's Susan Susan Anderson or something. Yes. Is it Anderson? Anderson sounds right to me. Okay. Uh, So his project becomes, the first time they meet, she plays at a piano and sings, and he extrapolates you're the greatest singer, you're the hottest new thing, I am going to make you into the world's most successful opera singer. And that project does not go well. No, it Uh, doesn't? What happens? Uh, Well, I was saying to Tess, I like this, that she's not like the worst, like, oh my God, awful Florence Foster Jenkins style, but she's (laughs) believably amateur. Like, amateur enough that you could believe that Charles Foster Kane would listen to her and through rose-colored lenses be like, oh, yeah, no, she's great. Like, and I'm so powerful, yeah. I can make this into a thing. Like, yep. I think she's terrific. Well, yeah, this is just the whole thing that's been beaten through the whole... The, the drum that's been beaten through the whole film is essentially he feels like he should be able to control everything. He should be able to buy whatever he wants. Yep. Right. And and what he's essentially trying to do is buy love because he doesn't feel like he ever got it from anybody. Yes. And so he embarks upon the project of making her that. Uh, yes. And he thinks he can buy her love this way and buy the public's love for her and, and in so doing buy public love for himself. And yeah, it's all a big exercise to see can money buy love? And he, he does not get the answer he wants. Uh, and instead of packing up and, you know, uh, trying something new, when she fails the first time, he pushes her for quite some time and she tours the country. And eventually it comes to a head and poisons their marriage. Uh, uh, I, I want it. Oh, go ahead. Oh, well, no, go ahead. No, no, you can go no, ahead. Um, I wasn't sure if you were going to brush past your suicide attempt or not. Oh, yeah. Yes. Uh, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> That's yeah. really important. Before they go live in Xanadu, he, she attempts suicide. He, li- no, he brushes it off. Aren't they living in Xanadu this, the whole entire time? I don't know. Anyway, whatever. So, like, <laughs> she she's getting pushed and pushed by him to continue this career that she never really wanted and isn't very good at and feels like she's getting panned daily by like every single person that sees her and we see like a news montage of that and then um he won't let her not do it and so feeling trapped by this arrangement she attempts suicide and once that happens he finally gifts 
her yeah. not having to do it anymore. And I, I think his line is, uh, it's so strange how she could make such a mistake. Right. Like, like no, well, he tells that to the to, to the, the Doctor. doctor and the nurse, and right. then he leave like the doctor leaves the nurse there. Like, yeah, yeah, okay, sure, whatever. The nurse is gonna stay. Like everyone knows what was actually happening there, but he's like, how could she have made such a mistake? Like, oh no, yeah, we yeah we all know what was going on here. Um, so yeah, so like finally, like given her last straw, she literally could have died. He finally goes, oh fine, I will gift to you your freedom. And then she has nothing to do and she's bored. Okay, so you were going to pick up with them there. Uh, yeah, well then do we <laughs> not find ourselves in Xanadu? Yes, we find ourselves. I thought I thought we were in Xanadu the whole time. No, because before she was touring and singing. She was touring, yeah. Mm. I think they were in the city. Okay, that scans. I did think they were maybe in her weird bedroom when she commit, tried to commit suicide, but maybe not. Like, the lighting is all weird. Anyway. So, yeah, we pick up and... We're not even told how long it's been at this point uh, between events, which is intentional, I think. Uh, she's bored in Xanadu. She's in this palatial mansion. Time is stretching on. She's unsatisfied. They have, uh, this is where the sound design really comes in because they have pathetic, echoey conversations where they barely hear each other. Um, and he's just stubbornly trying to force this thing. Like he, He's like, we're going to go on a picnic. And she's like, I don't, I don't want to yeah. do that. She's doing jigsaw puzzles. He's standing in front of a fireplace that's the size of him. Uh, it's yes. way bigger than him. That they're like people in San Francisco are renting out rooms the size of that like an open oven. <laughs> well put. Um, and he's like, we're going for a picnic in the Everglades. She's like, I hate picnics. I like being where all my, my shit is. My material possessions are. And he's just like, we're going on a picnic. Like, no question about it. He's given up on trying to ask things because this is so just gone astray that he's just, he's trying to force that square peg into that round hole. (laughs) And so they go on a a really fun looking but also miserable looking picnic with like big roasted pigs and shit and blues singers performing. Um, and I find it funny that they call it a picnic when it's clearly some kind of a luau. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Some well, kind I mean, of jamboree. Some kind of jamboree. <laughs> Some kind of jamboree. <laughs> Some kind of paparoo. <laughs> Some kind of higgledy piggledy. Some kind of bazinga. None I of- won't be drawn into a brouhaha. None of us can do a good or like an an older Elson Orson yeah. Welles We're impression here, but that's the idea. Anytime we say a silly word, just imagine Bally. older Orson Welles is saying it. <laughs> anyway. And uh, so, so, at a certain point, she leaves. Oh wait, I was doing James Mason. <laughs> fact, it, it might be like soon after they get back from the picnic, his guy tells him. Uh, yo, your missus has packed bags upstairs and is taking them out because she's going. And he tries to stop her and he says, you know, I'll let you be in control. Like I've been trying, like Leland accused me of, of trying to predict people's needs and force them on people. This time I'll listen to you. You can tell me what you want, but she's not buying it. Nope. She leaves and leaves her bags behind. 
And what is the line she says as she leaves? Because that scene's really good. That's such a good scene. Um, she uh, says... He, oh, this he is being says, done he to sa- you. He oh, says, yeah. yeah, he says, how could you do this to me? Or something like to that effect. Yes. Right. Like, you can't do this to me. And she's like, you, I can't do Please this to don't you. Do I this think to that me. I can. She calls out his narcissism that everything is refracted through the layer of himself. Yeah. Right. Um, and then she walks through some cool archways. Like, that make her look like she's walking through fire. Yeah. They're great. It's great. And but before she, that, she walks through a really cool she door. She says, boy, bye. She, yeah, she said, boy, bye. <laughs> and then she <laughs> turns into Beyonce. It's incredible. She, it was awesome. How did Orson Welles pull this off, Rob? <laughs> he knew. He knew. That uh, Beyonce was coming. <laughs> it's, it's a very prescient film. Quite really, it is. It, uh, no, I would say that it actually is, but, you know. Uh, so, so that makes him a sad panda. And... <laughs> <laughs> you, you mopey sad and at that point I mean I guess oh because I love this now we're all in present day mm-hmm. that's all the past oh well no yeah I mean yeah. we've always <laughs> been in present day due to the framing device right but at this point all the stories have been told we've gotten Anderson as an older woman's uh, perspective on the thing and that's it and our reporter poor intrepid reporter is no closer to understanding what the hell a rosebud is. And we get this great scene that's like just all the visuals of the shit, of Charles Kane's bric-a-brac, his possessions, you know, things of priceless value that haven't even been taken out of their boxes. And it's just like, I love this because it was such a striking image of just all this shit kind of awkwardly like shunted off into a corner. And, and these people talking are just kind of surrounded by it. And he, um, this is the kind of thing that could be on the nose, but I love this. They hand him the jigsaw puzzle, and he's like, and these people don't even understand what the jigsaw is about, which is, it was our connection to Anderson. That was the thing she loved. But at this point, these are just lifeless possessions um, with no meaning left to them. And he says, while holding a jigsaw puzzle, I guess Rosebud was a jigsaw piece. Um, and the final takeaway of it is him saying, well, even if I knew, like, it's kind of a cheat to think, like, that solves everything. Uh, just having that piece might not necessarily mean I can know an unknowable man. Uh, we'll, we'll never really know who this guy is. And then he walks out, and we get the very famous shot You've said that five, six times. <laughs> There's so many famous shots, though. You're <laughs> of, not wrong. Of the sled in the furnace. It says Rosebud, and the, the words Rosebud slowly burn away and turn ashen black. And then we're back at that fence with the sign saying no trespassing. We're back locked out of Kane, locked out of Kane's estate, and we see the smoke plume rising out of the, the incomplete mansion. And that is it. That's it. That's the movie. That's the end so I of just the wanna, movie. I want to bring up one thing. Um, uh, maybe sort of glossed over in the plot synopsis. Oh, yes, plot please. synopsis are want to do, which is fine. Um, but before it gets brought up, uh, people often go, who heard him say Rosebud? Well, the butler says he heard it. He says it. It's canon. He was in and the room whether you saw him or not. And he said he it re- other times, he, too. He meets the... Um, 
he meets the reporter there who continues the story of uh so like the the wife uh, the ex-wife tells the story of her leaving we stop there the uh reporter goes to xanadu meets the butler the butler says let me pick up right where you left off coincidentally describes him destroying this woman's room uh and then uh like fight like picking up <laughs> the the snow globe which is presumably the only thing in the room that's his <laughs> so he destroys all of her stuff and like, <laughs> oh sure, finds, destroy my shit. Finds finds the one thing that's his, and is like, ah yes, this <laughs> this calmed me down, as though he wasn't in control the entire time. He's like, what is she doing with this? this um, snow globes uh, do calm everybody down. He mentions that he was also the butler. Mentions that he was also there when he said Rosebud right before he died. So even though we don't see him in the room, he was there. He says he was there. It's not like no one was there to see it. True. Yeah, I guess they're not trying to pull like a Rashomon on this, where it's like, is he telling? We'll the never truth? know. Yeah, no, like, we nah, know. He was there. He, he, told, he, he told us he was there. That's how we know. Everyone, everyone is at this butler's throat trying to figure out what's going on, and he doesn't know. He seems legit. Pay him he a thousand just, bucks. Yeah, he just wants the thousand dollars to tell everybody his last words, a bunch of times. Give me. Give me some cheddar. So that's that's my. I wanted to jump in and make sure that that didn't become a talking point because it's just not worth it. All right. Well, Rob, should we go and do an understudy? Uh, let's do. How do we like it first? Okay. Okay. I play this thing. Hey, hey, hey! How do we like it? Hey, Tess, how did you like this movie? Um, I've always liked this movie. Uh, obviously it's an A. Um, if I had to give it a letter grade. Um, they say it's one of the best movies ever made. I would say... Uh, who am I to argue? <laughs> That's what I would say. <laughs> uh, because I genuinely really do like it, and I can acknowledge that uh, there is so much about it that was innovative at the time the the framing device of the storytelling um the cinematography though i can talk about that a little bit later because i think it's the most interesting thing about the film um uh yeah the i mean you know hiring a big bunch of actors that you knew from your like actor troupe days when you were a stage guy and like introducing the world to them like hey we found this guy in a dumpster all right he's a star now i don't know um but i think it's uh yeah i think it's a re i think it's a genuinely really good film uh it holds up um yeah uh it's a good 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 thing i like it a lot like this movie a lot what about you brady um i burped on my mic i apologize oh yeah, that, you. That's how you feel about this movie. Um, <laughs> yes, it, but this movie is a burp on the mic. That, Rob. Depending on how I burp on the mic, that can be a B plus, an A, a C. There's, I don't think the mic cares, but I do. You have to learn to to read my belching to understand my grade. I told you a long time ago, oh. Brady. I refuse okay. to I'll learn to read this. your gas. <laughs> you have said that on on many an occasion. 
what do I think of this? I think I think this is a great movie. Um, yeah, it is one of the best movies ever made. I think it earns that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I don't really put a, a limit on how many movies get to be among the best ever made. Sure. Uh, this is purely a, a masterpiece level film. Um, even beyond all the whatever have you had invented that I don't know the full story of. Um, I think this stands up as something that isn't just a time capsule uh, to a moment of history uh, in filmmaking, but something that is very invigorating. I'll say this, and this is anecdotal, because like, I'm probably extrapolating from like whatever handful of people I've spoken to or read the opinions of, but the people who are kind of your your cane detractors, and if not detractors, the ones who are like, back it up. Eh, overrated. Back it up a bit. They speak of it in this ossified museum-like way, mm. where it's like, oh, you know, you got Star Wars and Indiana Jones and these exciting films. Citizen Kane is like this boring thing. And I'm like, the one thing it's not is boring. It's like very, like, <laughs> in, in very grand and very simple ways, a very engaging film. <laughs> Um, and it's always doing something to keep your attention down to that. Oh, we didn't mention. <laughs> okay, okay, I get to I get to tell that story though. Okay, say, say it because I want it said. Okay, okay. So when I watched this for the first time, today was the second time. Uh, I it was in a screening class in college, and I was a very tired student. And uh, despite being very engaged <laughs> by this film, uh. At some point towards the very end, I fell asleep for between 15 to 20 minutes <laughs> and promptly woke up because a cockatiel appeared on screen for two seconds and went, Rah! and I woke up. Uh, I'm so ah! glad I'm not wearing headphones right now. <laughs> and uh, I... I was like, holy crap, what was that? What is going on here? Why did that happen? And I like went to this I went to the class the next day and somebody that wasn't me <laughs> raised their hand and went, uh, excuse me, professor, why there was like a cockatiel that appeared randomly towards the end of the movie. And gives a jump what scare. What was that about? <laughs> Like, yeah, it's like almost a jump scare. Why did that happen? And the teacher was kind of like, I'm not really sure, actually. I think maybe he, like, owned a lot of animals, and it was maybe to, like, talk about, like, how ornate his his estate still was, even though you hadn't seen animals up until, like, for a long time at that point. I looked it up, and Orson Welles, in an interview, even said it was to wake people up. Because so there you go. <laughs> it's getting kind of slow, and you know, it's it's uh, late night at the theater or whatever, and it, yeah, to wake them up. It's the sad part of the movie. Wait, I'm sorry. Wake them up. And I can't, nobody I can do I it. I fell asleep because <laughs> I was bored. I fell asleep because I was a student, and I was very tired. <laughs> like, I'd probably been writing a paper or something, or been in classes all day. I don't know. The, the screenings were always at night. Okay, well, thank you, Cox. Yes. So that is an example of what I'm talking about where, um, yeah, down to the fact that Wells thought of a way of like, okay, fine. Even if you're, if you're like a little wussy, like, oh, I can't deal with anything temporarily slow in a movie kind of person. Fine. Animal, animal car alarm. There you go. It's always doing stuff to keep itself engaging. Um, and I like that it's this mix of subtle and showy, like, 
it's okay. Wells is one of the best actors to ever live. Uh, so there's there's the thing. So this is an outstandingly acted movie, which I feel like we haven't even touched upon. I think Wells is brilliant. Everett Sloan as Bernstein, I think, is brilliant. It's well performed all throughout. But then it also uh, just has this huge eye. It's like a huge, ravishing set of set pieces and mm-hmm. ways to move time forward. And you know, so it, it's not only giving uh, itself over to the cinematography and letting what's his name, Rob. Who's our cinematographer? I have trouble pronouncing his name. I can't remember if it starts with an A or a K it now. It starts with a T. T. See? I don't know things. Hold on. <laughs> okay, you look it up, because here's my point. Some of it is about, like, big showy stuff, like the big Toland. poster. Toland. Greg Gregory Toland. But also it's about giving young Robbie Wise, who would go on to make West Side Story... And the haunting and sound He's of music. My, one of my favorite directors. Um, sometimes it's not about the big shot, but about like glorious feats of editing that like have a ton of rhythm to them and so move the story along. Can I tell you? Hold that on, let me finish because oh, I'm ahead. almost no, no, finished. No, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Um, and Tess already mentioned this, but one of the examples I love is the big, you know, emotional breakdown sequence where he's smashing all the glass, all of her possessions, and just like the visual way that it's just. Noise, 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 like destroying the entire room and then gets to this globe and everything goes silent. And like it's making an emotional point. It's like suddenly this thing has calmed him. His rage has subsided because it's this thing that reminds him of his childhood and actually belongs to him. But it's also accomplished in sonic terms, in visual terms. So we actually get like a sense of there's all this cacophony and destruction and then this thing happens. And it's well saying right from the start that he knows how to do things in a visual and tactile sense. Um, and I, I just think that's brilliant. So a couple things I wanted to add. Um, one of the things I read uh, today, uh, just trying to brush up on all this, uh, is that a lot of the editing was apparently done in camera by Wells and Toland. Um, so Wise was left with not as many opportunities as most editors would have to kind of pick and choose what he wanted to keep and what he wanted to cut. Yeah, and at um, Toland's behest, they also w- didn't take master shots. Yeah. So they didn't have any coverage. So yeah. the editing and I was done he, the way so when he, we were yeah, kids? Yeah, he told, he told Wells, who had no f- like experience as a director or filmmaker up to this point, like, we don't need to do master shots. <laughs> Yeah, remember when we were kids and like we didn't we couldn't edit so we just like you'd think about where the shot stopped and you'd have to we'd have to know Cut. like what's coming next. Right. That was kind of how they did it. Wild. And they knew they knew that um that uh Wise was going to be the editor and so like he did have control in that way but a lot of it was done uh was done in camera. And then the other thing I wanted to add is like I kind of touched on this um a little bit when I was ranting about him destroying the room. But um, one of the things I kind of noticed about it is like he when if you saw an actor doing a scene like that today, I feel like you would just see this like they'd be like working really hard to have this incandescent rage on their face and that kind of thing. And he just looked kind of he was destroying the room. But like I didn't really see that he was like mad or overacting he was just kind of like throwing himself around 
and stopped when he got to the snow globe. And uh, I'm going to quote something that I don't know where I got this from. Um, I, I think I read it on Tumblr, but it was maybe someone quoting a book they'd read. So I don't know. Um, so take this with a grain of salt. But it's like an anecdote about someone talking to their therapist about uh, an abusive relationship. And uh, they say, well, when the person, when, the, when, the, when your boyfriend loses control and he breaks stuff, whose stuff does he break? And she's like, oh, he, he actually, uh, he, he just, he only breaks my things. And the therapist says, well, then what does that tell you? And she's like, oh, that he was in control the entire time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think that kind of like was in the forefront of my mind watching that scene is like we can presume that maybe this snow globe was his. Right. And oh, oh yeah. So he knew destroying stop. her stuff was not like him being in an out of control rage, but him being fully in control of his faculties just as when he slapped her. Um and not, you know, like not being able to to process that in, in an adult fashion. That's very <laughs> <interesting>. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Um, so those were two things I wanted to talk about. Yeah. Well, yeah. anyway, I like this movie. Yeah? I don't like it as much as I did the first time I watched it. Uh, I was like, oh, it, it wasn't as shiny <laughs> for me. But I still really liked it. And I guess it gets an A-. minus. <laughs> All right. All right. Let's go, Rob. A minus to Citizen Kane. Yeah, A minus. I yeah. gave it a big A, just so that I didn't have to clarify. But, you know, A plus if you push me. Uh, same. Same, same. But I... Uh, you don't just give Citizen <laughs> Kane an A minus. <laughs> well, I mean, the things that I like about it are kind of the shots. And, you know, when they do these shots to make... Uh, him seem very big and her seem really small or him, you know, mm -hmm. towering over her. There's a lot of high angle stuff. Yep. There's um, everything's in focus. They they kind of work very hard to, um, you know, sort of use what's in frame. The mise-en-scene to use the, the right. team, the term, right? Um, and the way it's kind of allocated and spaced about to tell the story as well. You know, there's a lot of storytelling going on, even without all the hubbub and words and dialogue and, uh, you know, uh, voiceover and all this kind of stuff. Um, you know, the mm -hmm. story is very well told through the images and the camera movement and tracking and, and all those things. Yeah, like that shot where, like, he's imposing his will on her and we don't see him. We just see, like, the shadow of him, like, completely darken her. Mm -hmm. Right. And it's then they like spot her very, face. Very, very dark. Very dark indeed. <laughs> that's, that's a dark shadow. So when, if we're going to, I mean, like, if we're going to keep, if there's like a segment where we can naturally talk about the cinematography, I'll hold off until then. Sure, there, there'll be that segment. I, yeah. I've got some thoughts on some shots. Uh, it's, this is like a major cinematography movie for me. So, like, if we can just talk, we can rap about that for a while. Like, I'll hold off on any more commentary okay, on, <laughs> okay. on the way that's handled you doing okay buddy yes no i'm just having a particularly hard time with audio this time 
I'm I, sorry. No, am, it's I, okay. am I like popping still? No, that Is was. Is there anything I need to do? That was just the headphone monitor. So okay. it's fine now. So we weren't recording the popping, basically. Oh, good. Just when we were listening back. Um, but uh, we should do understudy if we have it. Do we have the papers? Okay. Uh, um, oh, well, I wanted to. Uh, I wanted to take a little break myself and grab a drink and. Okay, let's take a break and we'll come back and do understudy. We're so sorry we couldn't get the actors to do the scene from this screenplay, but we've got two understudies, and to be honest, they're probably more famous anyway. So try to catch the actors, try to guess the movies. Tweet us at C A R N Y Couch. This game called Understudy is happening, happening, happening right now. Gentlemen, I'm talking about the meeting in January to which this letter is referring. Yeah. Let me rephrase this. You sent my clients 16 emails. In the first 15, you didn't raise any concerns. Is that a question? In the 16th email, you raised concerns about the site's functionality. Were you leading them on for six weeks? No. Why hadn't you raised any of these concerns before? It's raining. I'm sorry. It just started raining. Mr. Zuckerberg, do I have your full attention? No. Do you think I deserve it? What? Do you think I deserve your full attention? I had to swear an oath before we began this deposition, and I don't want to perjure myself, so I have a legal obligation to say no. Okay, no. You don't think I deserve your attention. I think if your clients want to sit on the sho- sit on my shoulders and call themselves tall, they have a right to try. But there is no requirement that I enjoy sitting here listening to people lie. You have part of my attention. You have the minimum amount. The rest of my attention is back at the Bat Cave, where my colleagues and I are doing things that no one in this room, including and especially your clients, are intellectually or creatively capable of doing. Did I adequately answer your condescending question? Well, uh, I've got 12.45. Let's do lunch. Back at 2.30? Oh, yeah, I gotta play the outro. That was understudy. Tweet us your answer at C A R N Y Couch. Well, yeah, everybody, that was understudy. Try to guess what movie that's from. Try to guess what voices we were all doing. There were three really voices. Easy to guess in the movie, so I decided to do an is. impossible impression to make sure they couldn't guess all of it. And then tweet us your answer at C-A-R-N-Y couch. I am the Zuck. At any rate. Um, hey, what is all about? What's this movie all about, man? This movie, not the one we were just... Well, how do you sum up a man's life? Well, it's like a jigsaw puzzle. <laughs> there might be a missing piece. And if you He's get that sad piece. about his childhood! <laughs> Line up. <laughs> Look, what are we going to say about this movie that, that nobody else has? Probably nothing. Well, I already said A minus. 
You think this movie is about A minus? Ah, shut up! What? <laughs> no one else has said that. I am unique. This movie is about a minus. Charles Foster Kane, a great minus of a man. Exactly. He was small and getting bigger, but then he got smaller. The negative space was engulfing him. Indeed. Mm, snow peas. And everything was always in focus. Yeah. Deep Wow, focus. wasn't it, though? So, all right, so who's, who's go- really, who's going first on what's it go all ahead, about? Brady. What's it all about? Okay. I just wrote a few notes. What's it about? It's about American greed. It is about how people lose themselves in that special, very insidious kind of American materialism and capitalism. Um, And it's about the movie itself uh, trying to solve the mystery, trying to pull Charles Foster Kane from the rubble of all that greed and, you know, lost love that the movie talks about. And and in the end, uh, coming up empty, uh, you know, coming up empty-handed, because as the reporter tells us, uh, we don't get that missing jigsaw piece puzzle. And even if we did, who's to say that it would mean a damn thing? Uh, So it's about, it's a sad mystery about trying to rescue one lost soul from from the... uh, evils of materialism and failing at that and it's about uh you know i I like the way leland puts it charles kane's story is about love and how he lost it agreed uh tess do you want to go first or shall i uh you go ahead okay yeah i think that's very close to what it's about i mean it's about uh kind of the idea that how do I put this? I'm trying to say um, that people are set up for who they're gonna be from the get-go, right? Uh, we even see it in the very beginning. You know, eventually uh, Charles Foster Kane becomes a controlling, manipulative asshole at at the end. Um, you know, as he's kind of uh, taken in that direction by the world and the life that he leads. But early on, he's a young kid playing with a snowman, youting, shouting out the window, Unions forever! <laughs> and <laughs> yeah, stuff like that. Was. And, you know, and even when he's running for governor, he's talking, you know, all the I- idealistic things uh, that, you know, people are told, which is, uh, yeah, you know, I'm, I, don't, I want people to be taken care of. I'm going to take care of the people, and I don't want it to be, uh, you know, because if the rich don't take care of them, then somebody else is going to have to pick up the slack and it's just going to be another poor person who also doesn't have the cash. So, um, yes, dog, leave. Oak, what do you think it's <laughs> I understand. About? I understand your problems and such uh, with what this is all about, this. but it's, it's a doggy dog world, man, and it will entirely <laughs> swallow us. Yes, and make lots of noise. Um, All right, now an ad for Squarespace. (laughs) Essentially, uh, what what I'm trying to take it down to is that despite who you are shaped to be at the beginning, eventually the the world does what it does and, you know, makes you into something that you, eh, you don't really have too much control over it. 
despite how much he tries to control everything. God damn it, the dogs will not shut the hell up, and it's bothering the hell out of me. Can you hear it in the headphones? I don't know. Um, I'm just having a hard time talking. Hey, Tess, how about you go? Okay. Oh, boy, our dogs Uh, are barking. Oh, boy. Oh, oh my dogs are barking. Um, okay. So, what do I think this movie is all about? Well, I think you guys touched on it a lot. Thank you. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, I think that even though I was joking, I think it's about asking how do you sum up a man's life and realizing that you can't really... (laughs) Ah, sound quality is our most important aspect here. Um. (laughs) And now, may I just like a quick interjection to that, to say maybe that in its way is a pretty damning criticism of materialism, because stuff can't get us any closer, even if it's cherished stuff like a really pure love, a boy's love for a sled, things cannot get us to deeper understanding of a person. Yeah, and the thing is not even, you know, arguably what his malfunction was. He wasn't mad because he didn't keep the, get to keep the sled. He got another sled as a replacement sled that was an even cooler sled. He just wanted his mom not to abandon him. And more than that, like, you know, perhaps that isn't just the only thing that happened to him that shaped this guy. Like... We all have our shit from childhood, but, like, you know, we're being shaped every day by every single thing that happens to us and every choice that we make. So to try and boil it down to what does Rosebud mean, well, you can't, you can't really do that. You'd be ill-advised to try. Thanks. You, you were definitely able to put that a lot more eloquently than I was. Yeah. Es- essentially, he's trying to recover what he lost, and it's unrecoverable. And so the world kind of operating around him as he attempts to recover this shapes him into something that he really can't stop from becoming. I lost a box of some of my most cherished possessions and I think about it almost every day. I can never get those things back and I told my mom about it and she said, well, there's a possibility that it's still somewhere in our house, but we haven't found it yet despite looking for it. And the only things that I ever lost were things I couldn't replace. Mm-hmm. Well, yes, because we can replace them, and now they're kind of no longer lost, right? Yeah, but my mom's full of aphorisms like that. <laughs> uh, I have a question, because this movie, like, I, I don't know if this movie invents the twist, but it sure is, like, twisty, and it's got the granddaddy of all movie twists in it, right, with Rosebud. Yeah, I don't think that... No, no, I hadn't said my question yet. I hadn't said my question. Oh, go ahead. Sorry, sorry. Because here's my question. What if at the end there was one final twist where we pull out and, like, there's the no trespassing in the gate and there's the big hill with the smoke? And what if all of a sudden, like, a kite, like, just, like, attached to a rope came out of the mouth of the (laughs) house and we realized the whole time that Charles Kane lived in a monster house? (laughs) No, he was the kid from Harry Potter. No, it's nothing like the twist where, you know, a guy surfs 
out of the basement of the house on a sea of rats. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What if Charles Kane was just sipping out of the on basement? A, on a sea of rats. Um, uh, so are we mashing up Willard, Monster House, and Citizen Kane? There you I go. Mentioned Harry, or, or I mentioned uh, Mary Poppins as well. Monster Willard Kane. Sure, throw them all in there. That's a good stew. Yeah. And also, Cool Hand Luke. Sure, I mean, it was our first Mon- podcast. Monster Willard Kane had a... Had Cut a, off the heads of some parking meters, throw them in. Yeah, and he, he had a failure to communicate. The love that he wanted, despite the fact that he had a and, uh, newspaper. Horny George Kennedy. At any rate, um... <laughs> <laughs> I was just so, trying to goad Rob into doing a horny George Kennedy accent for like, old times' sake. I can't remember how it goes. He's just washing, like, this woman washing her car or something, and he's like, Oh, oh, man, oh, boy. Oh, Indeed. boy. Oh, yeah. Oh, um, washing good there. No, but, um... Let, let's be honest. This this movie's just all about uh, I want to exposing William Randolph Hearst for being kind of shitty, <laughs> among other people and that sad. they personally knew. Yeah. By the way, well, shitty and sad. I think he gets a lot of the flack for this, but they also knew other shitty people they wanted yeah. to expose, and that got kind of lost in time. <laughs> Joseph Pulitzer, I think, it's was one of them. Every person they hated. <laughs> Joseph Pulitzer and his well, prize. Oh, li- I could pull up the list. If and you and also, he didn't it. shoot anybody on a yacht, right? Because the <laughs> the singer. <laughs> I would hope not. Well, the singer proxy. Um, God, now uh, now I'm forgetting her Marian real name. Something Marion Davis. Marion Davis. Marion Davis, right? Davies. Um, Davies. Yeah, William Randolph Hearst shot Thomas Ince on his yacht. Sorry, <laughs> and it covered funny. it up. Is this what the cat's meow is about? Yes, that's exactly what the cat's meow is about. Um, and then Marion Davis kind of suffered; her career suffered because of that. And then when Citizen came out, <laughs> Citizen, Citizen came out. Kane came out. <laughs> when Citizen Kane came out, uh, her career also suffered a little bit because people kind of identified her as the singer lady, and she eventually. After the death of uh, William Han- Randolph Hearst's wife, uh, went and took care of uh, William Randolph Hearst full time. Okay. In his own personal Xanadu, be it Hearst Castle. You know, yeah. Which was always under construction for a lot of years. <laughs> so, yeah, there's that. And uh, there was also, of course, a Hollywood movie, RKO, um, two eighty one, made about how William Rand- William Randolph first tried to buy the negative from RKO and burn it. <laughs> oh yeah, I remember hearing about that. Yeah. So at any rate. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So. Do other people have things to say? <laughs> no, I think we covered what it's, what it's about. Yeah, I think we. But you it's about to, a monster house. But you wanted to like talk about movies. cinematography most because among the I other things, Tess, this this movie is also about cinematography. It was um, sure, yeah. um, it was uh, Orson Welles' first movie. Yeah, and he'd he was, never directed ever. He was signed on with what RKO to, uh, to to direct two films. He had a two film contract, and uh, he yeah, was given complete creative control over the, over both projects, uh, which I guess was like a little weird, if not unprecedented at the time. 
Um, but he was like such a rising star that they were like, ah, oh, we gotta get we gotta get him on like a film deal or whatever. Like, and so they they gave him this creative control, which is why Tolan wanted to work with him so that he could like come up with crazy like do stuff that other like do like experimental kind of film techniques that other uh, or that the the studios wouldn't let him do. Yeah, they uh, they also started shooting before they started shooting yeah, too. They, they d- yeah, they did like <laughs> principal photography or whatever. Well, they were doing the so, test shots. Yeah, test. Right? They were doing they test were like, shots. You're like, you work with Tolan <laughs> on on how you're gonna do all these crazy shots, like in through the windows and and stuff like that. And he's yeah. just like, cool, let's start shooting, and we'll just tell him it's tests. Yeah. I'm yeah. gonna get this so thing done. So they like they finished like with only like going like 21 days over like the allotted time frame without counting all the days they'd been like doing test shots yep. that were real shots. Um, so that's kind of fun. Um, but uh, you know, I want to take you back to uh, to Zoe college <laughs> uh, and uh, Peter Limbricks. Uh, no, you're doing a Peter Limbrick. Yes, our like, Australian. Wait, I was like, why are you doing Zoe Bell? 101 or 102, can't really remember. No, it was film 101B, I don't, I don't remember. 20A? <laughs> uh, and uh, just talk a little bit about, uh, you know, motifs and uh, and things that, you know, we would call in, in film school. I had a uh, film professor that would call everything didactic. And this movie has many things in it which I would call didactic. But that doesn't mean bad. It just means you can teach with them because they're very clear. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if he's using that word. Didactic is like, isn't that a tonal thing where you're being very like professorial in a condescending way? At least oh, it has I, that connotation. I don't, I don't think of it as condescending, but maybe it is. Didactic um, is when you're I like, just think of it as designed, to, designed to teach. All right. I think we all don't know the definition of didactic because I thought it was uh, giving more information <laughs> out. Uh, okay, I'm now going to look in, it up. In the sideband. I do know the definition. It was of like giving more information out in the side, side. So, you know, a tone can be didactic because if you yell at somebody, despite the fact that you're saying hello, if you're being mean about it, you're giving more information with the way you oh, said it. Oh, no. Brady's, more, right. Brady's most what correct. Means. Uh, so, the, the actual I'll say didactically. Diction. Look, here's what didactic the, yeah, means, the, okay? The, uh, it's when I'm. I just want to teach you the guys what didactic means so that you'll know from now on. The dictionary on, right? definition is intended to teach, which I said, particularly in having moral instruction as an ulterior motive. Listen, it's for your guys' edification that okay. I tell you what didactic means. So, okay? so when that guy would call things didactic, I don't even think he knew what that meant. Anyway. No, I would uh, like to didactic <laughs> at him. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, someone called him didactic once, and he thought that, was that it didactic meant something else. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, anyway, um, uh, I want to first talk a little bit about uh, what is probably one of the, like, most famous scenes, and I guess one of the first scenes that they shot, uh, relatively, which is the scene at the table with his first wife that has a lot of, like, uh, what do you call those kinds of shots? The the like shot reverse shot. Pan, it's shot. So there's shot reverse shot. There's like the kind of shot where it's like tracking. It tra- like no, it like moves very quickly. So oh, it's like a whip pan. pan. It's like pan shot. Whip pan. Whip pan. 
Um, so it's like got whip pan shots, uh, <laughs> shot reverse shot, like all kinds of all kinds of tricks are being used here um, to show the passage of time. And um, one of the things that it also does, which I want to use as a jumping off point to talk a little bit about one of the things I like so much about the, um, the cinematography and the framing of this movie, is that it's most notable for creating a, a distance in their relationship. So when he comes in in the very beginning, the table feels kind of small and the space feels very small and he sits down right next to her. Like, she is at the corner of the table and he sits down at the other corner of the table and they're sitting there very close having breakfast, looking at each other starry-eyed and um, being very much in love. And then as the the scene progresses, they're killing me. Um, yeah, it's very hard to talk, right? I'll, I'll go shut them up. As the scene progresses, uh, they start the the the, the, the the way that it's edited together makes them feel further and further apart. And you never really see the table again until the mm -hmm. end of the scene, which has the table being much wider than you remember it and them sitting at either end of it um, yeah. to, to kind of indicate not only the passage of time, but the strain in their relationship and that they have grown further and further apart. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I would use that uh, uh, to, as like kind of a microcosm example of the way that space is used throughout the entire film. Very cool. Let me talk about a spatial, another spatial shot I like. One that like, again, like kind of almost toying with being too on the nose, but I think is saying a lot is uh, when we first meet Kane as a boy, and we have all of the stuff in the foreground inside of the cabin, inside of the boarding school, where they're debating, like, okay, he's going to go off. This is what his future's going to be. His mom signing the contracts. And outside, in frame, but periodically disappearing from frame as he plays in the snow, is young Kane himself, who's separated by distance, by a window, and sometimes just, like, isn't in the window shot. And so it's this idea of when he should have been able to make the decision for himself about mm -hmm. the most fateful course, you know, the, the thing that determined the course of his life, he was entirely left out of it because um, he's a child. So the adults made what they felt was the responsible decision, but it was based on, on greed and like what they felt his best interest was. And then later Kane himself develops into someone who always thinks he knows what people's best interests mm -hmm. are. Uh, and I think that was a, a neat visual way to communicate right, that. Right, that very deep, deep focus shot mm -hmm. of them in the foreground planning his future and him in the background, like, living his present. Making plans for Nigel. Making plans for Nigel. Just playing in the snow, like, oblivious to the, the future that they are laying out for him. Yeah, it's it's really, it's really interesting. Um. So here's something I, s I never got, and I still still didn't get this time watching it is where does the money come from mining 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 but mm -hmm. like um his family it seems are kind of living pretty rurally and like mm -hmm. not lavishly and not with a, a bunch of means and stuff like they that. just have the property i think that the you know the gold or whatever they find is on got it yeah i i was sort of confused about the whole why he had to go away stuff too um, 
and I think we decided it was almost just propriety. It's like, well, yeah. because. Because that's what you do when you, you get when you get into money that you didn't expect to have. You send one of the kids off to school go somewhere. Live proper. Right. Yeah, you send them off to go get educated. Yeah, you're going to have the, the good life. Uh, we're going to sit here and do all the work, but my lineage will continue. Right, yeah, exactly. That's yeah, we, the whole We got idea. a boarding school to run um, here. Um, and presumably they were doing okay, you know, once they, they got into the money, but yeah. This isn't a cinematography thing, but I want to say again <laughs> how much I like the opening newsreel idea. Oh. Because it kind of reminds me of uh, the opening moments of Titanic, where it's like, all right, end of Titanic, we get this huge, like, very in-depth, like, here's how it all went down thing. But at the beginning of the movie, we get this kind of truncated version that's mm-hmm. like, well, here's the events that happened. This is literally kind of what happened. Kane made his money in newspapers. Uh, he had involvement with certain wars. Then he had an affair and left his wife. And it's like, it's showing us all this to be like, we're going to come back to this, but this is all going to pop a lot more once you know who this guy is, once we get into these scenes with this amazing camera work and, you know, the acting and the script take over. Uh, I just, I find that neat how they, um, they almost give away, they give away the story at the beginning and are like, well, no sweat because this is, when you see the way we tell this, it's not going to be the same story. Yeah, and then the, yeah, thematically it, it works well too because it's like the news tells you this, this very short, brief version. Now, when you really go into it and, and you expand all those scenes, it becomes uh, you know, much more complicated. There are conflicting motivations. There are just things that you wouldn't know right away. Oh, man, and this is a great place to point out so damn prescient about news. Like, not just the thing where he's like, news is going to become simple and entertaining. It literally has a line that predicts 24-hour news yep. when he first takes over the station, and he tells the guy who used to be there, like, you're going to need to do this 24 hours a day now. Like, news is just going to always go. You're going to live here? We're only open 12 hours a day. <laughs> I'm Mr. K. Well, but the news happens 24 well, hours a day. I wanted to say about that... Um the opening newsreel that was edited by RKO's newsreel division to give it authenticity. Cool, there you go. Yeah. Sounds about right. That's resourceful. Yeah. That sounds <laughs> yeah, sounds about right. Um, and that's why it feels so different from the rest of the film, which I think is like a good a good way for it to feel. Yeah, and a good um, way of Wells to get what he wants it, in an again an inventive way where it's like what's going to best do this. I could try to imitate what a newsreel feels like, or, uh, I could let the professionals do it. Yeah, exactly. But then like, you know, he, he's also like a news guy. Like, you know, he has, he has a voice for radio. Uh, he does. (laughs) War of the world. Yeah. Um, uh, have you guys... And he was putting on a bunch of plays with the Mercury actors. Yeah, he came first. up a stage guy, um, and he had a, a company and all that. And I know a lot of these people become, like, big names. Kind of Christopher Guest-like, right? He's got a troupe, and it's like, you're going to see more of these guys now. Yeah. yeah. Cotton, I know yeah. 
in that's, the credits so it said like this, a lot of this are people who have not been in the pictures before that's what's like, so we're happy fun about them. that like when when you were like when it showed like movies that you might also be interested in it like had a bunch of old pictures and one of them was knives out and the reason for that that immediately sprang to my mind when i saw it was that Ryan Johnson like also is renowned for like bringing his friends in. Oh yeah. To be in like his pictures with him. And like these are people from uh from uh, um Wells like theater troupe that that he was in, you know. And like he wanted to bring them in and have them be, you know, in the pictures as such. <laughs> Uh, do you guys have thoughts on what? Like, have you seen other Wells movies? Either I don't think you? I have. I I like Touch of Evil a lot. That's one I still need to see. I've seen the beginning of Touch of Evil. And and that's equally like, oh, we're gonna have these long tracking shots or this and that, mm-hmm. and all sorts of cool, neat stuff like that. This is my fourth Wells. He came out with a posthumous one a couple of years ago. Oh with, right, uh, Andrew loved that. Uh, it's it's worth seeing. It's got Peter Bogdanovich and John Huston, who are directors um famous directors acting but john houston you know director of chinatown and a voice inspiration oh no i'm sorry no actor in chinatown danny houston (laughs) from the warriors way falcon and uh man who would be king and you know director with a huge long career uh is basically playing wells while bogdanovich is playing oh i forget i think maybe himself I, that makes sense. But it's like about his relationship with Wells as kind of this very egotistical but inspirational figure. Uh, so I saw that, but I, I've seen uh, F for Fake, which is a great documentary about like forgery artists. Oh. And I've seen The Chimes at Midnight, which is his adaptation of the Falstaff story for Shakespeare. Uh, highly recommended. That, I think, is the best Shakespeare movie ever made. Uh, so I'm, I'm very excited to dive deeper with Wells because the things I have seen have been like standouts of their respective genres. So uh, were we going to talk a little bit more about the cinematography? Um, <laughs> well, we have been. I had uh, <laughs> I so I, I just wanted to bring up um, kind of so one of the things that I never really wanted to touch in uh, in film theory school was uh the motif i never really understood exactly what it was or how to engage with it so um forgive me if i have no coherent points about what this is but one of the things that um really struck me about the cinematography and like you know whether or not this has like a a, any kind of extended meaning or anything that was intended here i don't know it might just be it looks cool and it thematically works really well um is that there are lots of squares and rectangles like they're they're, Mm. the the framing device uh of that in in just the cinematography just cinematography wise is that they're they're always in they're so they're always kind of like in windows or they're sitting at tables or they're at desks and there are always rectangles and squares and things. Well, and I just kind of thought that was like really interesting and I'd be watching that and engaging with that 
to the point where like I'd be like not even listening to like the character talking. I'd be like, wow, look at how he's framed with all of those like rectangles in the background. That looks really cool. Yeah, it's like a <laughs> z-axis thing, mm-hmm. right? Like using the depth of the set and such um, to also that that was the big deal with him on deep focus. It's like we're gonna keep all of this in focus. Mm-hmm. And yeah, then we're going to like looks really good kind focus. of like use long hallways or we're going to use doorways or we're going to use this and that so that there's the image is layered and it makes it look very interesting. It gives you a good shot. Um, one of the things, though, that like I was kind of like if I was going to, you know, write a paper about this or something today, uh, <laughs> I'd probably focus on the aspect of where you have like the very simple window that you're doing the um, the deep focus shot of him outside playing while his future is being discussed. Mm-hmm. And you have a very like, just pl- very plain window. And then um, you, you vaguely see the sled and the sled is a very plain sled, also a rectangle. Right. Um, <laughs> and then it cuts to just him at like some Christmas or something like right after he's been moved off to be uh, Thatcher's ward, or like, Thatcher, I don't know, whatever, uh, to be this guy's ward. And he's opening the new sled, and it's very ornate. And then it immediately goes over, and you see another window that has, like, really ornate kind of uh, just... Not, not even just the... Um, the window dressing i can't i'm like blanking on the word here but like that the, the kind window of stuff. frame no no the the blankets <laughs> window blanket what curtains. do you call that curtain drapes excuse me <laughs> um so it's like doesn't just have like ornate drapes but it's also like in a very a very ornate window and like i couldn't like if i were going to write a paper on this today i'd like create some kind of like way to talk about these two things and like the way that framing device of the window like begins and ends that sequence yeah um, like you know, you you work all that out later. Pro- progression is <laughs> progression is happening. He's from humble yeah. beginnings, and he's and moving then, on and, to and it. And yeah. the the framing device is in fact the window, and right. you you know, and you're no longer looking out at him, but like it's moving away from him. And then you know, there's this this other much more ornate window. Yes, very visual <laughs> storytelling that uh, that has a message on its own. Yeah, another thing I like about that first like childhood window shot is there's even a dual purpose because we touched on how you know that's like Kane being boxed out of his own story at the start. the The decisions that will shape his story are made without virtue of him being there. But that's also our chance, um, or at least so we think, to kind of understand him. Mm-hmm. The idea, at least early on, that maybe the movie calls out at the end is that maybe by looking at someone in their most innocent form when it all began that we can have a deeper understanding of them. And so that shot is also robbing us of that. We're not really getting to spend much time with Cain as a child. And so if the idea is that we can look at someone at their, the start of their journey and that helps us to know them better, uh, we're not allowed to do that because he is, he is uh, out of frame um, and behind a, a blurry pane of glass yeah very much so i don't even think there's oh no there is glass but the window's open for most of it actually is it open yeah so the window's opened 
And then the man, the father, I guess, goes over and closes it. And then the mom goes back over and opens it again. Interesting. Yeah. Huh. Okay. I don't know why I remembered that that happened, but it definitely did. I remember the mom opening yeah. it and going like, it's the, snowing the outside. Went, the, dad it's went gonna... over, the dad went over and shut it. And right. she reopened it. Yes. Which I guess is symbolic, too. Well, she was also <laughs> she was also about to call out to him and say that it's everything in this movie is so inside. fucking symbolic. Like, like at one point when they were like yelling at each other across like the Xanadu, <laughs> like space with like the giant fireplace and it's this huge cavernous hall, and they're yelling at each other. <laughs> I was just like, we need to stop being so symbolic. <laughs> <laughs> well, and they also comment on that too. It's like we're in a tent. Yeah, we're, we're in not a tent. at home where we need we to don't yell. We need to yell at each <laughs> That's other. A great <laughs> we do. Because <laughs> you're still not fucking listening to me. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, so that brings us to uh, a point I wanted to talk about, uh, which is the way that like the same space, uh, specifically, I guess. In the case I wanted to mention um, uh, of the, um, what is it, the Tribune? What's it called? Oh, it's the Inquirer. The Inquirer. Wait, no, no, no. The Inquirer. Yeah, it's the Inquirer. It is. Okay. Yeah. The Inquirer, like, post building, whatever, like that, that newsroom. Um, so that, that newsroom, when, when you first arrive there, like, it's, it's filmed in such a way that... It feels kind of like very warm. There's a lot of bodies. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's I don't want to say claustrophobic, but it's like there's kind of like just a lot of close shots. Um, a lot of people mm. in the shops. Yeah, yeah, and he's moving um, in, and and it's and hard to get yeah, the and stuff through. Yeah, he's moving in, and like everyone's yeah. going, yeah, exactly, yeah. Rob, you're you're with me on this. Everyone's going, excuse me, excuse me. Like it's it's not even bustling. It's just like there's there's kind of like a close quarters feeling. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. When he moves in, and then as as the story progresses, the shots get a lot bigger. The space gets a lot emptier. Mm-hmm. Um, there are fewer people there, and the people that are there, if there are any, <laughs> are, like, working very far away. Uh, the shots get a lot more deep focus. Um, and that, you know, I think, as many people smarter than me have probably pointed out, much like I was using that table, you know, the table sequence as a, a microcosm, is to just indicate that, like, people are moving further and further away from him emotionally right right um so i think that's like really interesting and i you know i just like that kind of shit yeah and simultaneously (laughs) he's also uh moving further and further away from From them well from the the idea of even you know when he's young he's very liberal minded i need to take care of people i need to do this this. i need need to do x y and z and as as time goes on he's just collecting more and more things to put in a room that oh, he doesn't yeah. even open them. And then there's and, that, that. You know, he becomes more interested in things than that people. That great scene where, what, what is it? Uh, At the Leland, end. When no, trying, Leland is like midway through. Okay. Like yeah. Leland is yelling at him. It's Leland, right? Uh, um, yeah, probably. Is like just saying like, hey, you want to you wanna like give all these people stuff as like a gift, but the workers are going to take what's theirs. 
And, like, I found that very precious. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, he's like, and if the workers take what's theirs, you're not going to have anything left to give them. Like, you can't be this benev- benevolent savior to them if they get what is rightfully theirs. Right. And, like, I'm paraphrasing, obviously. No, that, that's but well like, <laughs> But, like, you know, that's, that's just the kind of person he is, is. He wants to be the one that gets to decide where his wealth goes, like, who he's, right. who he's helping. And if if they're going to help themselves, like, he, he's not into that. Like, that doesn't... So he just, like, gets further and further away from what, yeah, what he originally wanted to be. Yeah, that's kind of his tragic flaw is he, he wants love, which is a noble, benign enough thing, but he kind of views it in acquisition terms yep. as something to be gobbled up rather than freely given. Hey, neoliberals. <laughs> <laughs> Or liberals in that case. <laughs> okay. So should we take a break? or What's our time like, Rob? Oh, I mean, we're good. I figured after we okay. were done talking about the film, we'd just pick next week's film. And Okay. no, Are we not doing Metacritical this week? I don't think I need to lose today. Okay. That's yeah, fine. and we've, been, we've, we've had a lot to say about this. Yeah, so, like, it's true. not like we need filler. Correct. I don't think. It's Citizen Kane, people. This is... It's Citizen Kane. It's one we of the big boys. We can say what other people have said... A lot louder and a lot dumber for a lot longer. <laughs> like Citizen Kane would have wanted. We're giving Just you... <laughs> exactly like Citizen What's Kane. What's his name? Kane! He's Kane. He's a citizen. He's an American. I put a star next to that. Early on, I was like, oh, this is... Like, he's... Have I told you that I that I play a game when I'm on this podcast where like I try and earn the I try and secretly earn the drop, (laughs) (laughs) and the times I don't get it, I'm like, that line I was planning or something I said that I thought was really great. Damn. (laughs) Didn't get the drop. Didn't get the drop. Now I'm never gonna get the drop again because of that. Because I just admitted it. (laughs) I mean, you know, it's got to be organic. No, you're secretly playing this game. We know. We got it. You can't be too overt about it and just say goofy shit that means nothing. Yeah. Goople, gopple, drupal, dropple. Give me gravy, baby. (laughs) I mean, that might be the drop now. (laughs) It better fucking not be. Um... Uh, more symbolism that like feels almost on the nose, but I love is uh, just the incomplete mansion. Uh, it's a it's a clue to what the movie will tell us, which is it, this is all incomplete. The puzzle cannot be solved. The mansion is incomplete. He is incomplete as a human being, yep. and our picture of him will be forever incomplete. Oh, and who were the who were the ice sculptures of? At the party. Oh, I don't know. Because they weren't him. He had the K. I could be wrong about this, but I think they were, they were like his two friends or something. Like one of them was, uh, was Jedediah or whatever, and the other might have been Thatcher. I don't know. Like I, I can't uh, remember. It took I, me a while to like know. figure out. So I see where you're going with this. But like, so if the, it's his friends, the ice sculptures melting. are melting away, and he's left only surrounded by statues of ancient people. They have a whole conversation about this. They've been making statues for thousands of years, and he's only been collecting them for five. Great line. Um, yeah, I think that's... I'm a brilliant person <laughs> for pointing this out. <laughs> no, I'm that's smart. a great point. 
That's a great <laughs> And point. if I go back and I find out that one of the face ice sculptures is him, I'm going to sound like an idiot. <laughs> yeah, I mean. But I think the K was him. And the, then the faces yeah, were yeah, two yeah. other people. I could, I could feel him fading away. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, kind of like echoes of certain kinds of Scorsese films in this, too, where it's like, yeah, just about a guy. The tragedy is not just, like, the big stuff that happens, like the affair and, like, the more explosive moments, but it's how we start out in kind of a warm place. Like Tess said, like, the sweaty newsroom, his friends are around him, they're partying, and then uh, how in this kind of rise and fall arc, one of the saddest part is just like the people going away. Yeah. Um, and yeah, just having having Bernstein and Leland kind of just exit the narrative. Yeah. And w- what you miss is just having having those people around. Yeah. There, there's an interesting thing. Yeah. There's an yeah, I- man. There's an interesting thing that Leland brings up too, and it kind of goes to his like inhumanness or his incompleteness or like the way things don't affect him, um, because we see him drinking a lot. We never see him drunk, and, and Leland goes like, yeah, you drink, but you just, you don't get drunk yep. because you're not like people. <laughs> like, it, it doesn't happen. And he makes a similar comment to the one that his uh, second ex-wife makes, too, which is like, you don't, you don't love me, you want me to love you. And that's what both he and his ex-wife, like, say to him. Like, right. something to that effect. Um, and I, I've never forgotten that line since I, like, I think the, the my biggest takeaway line from this movie that I went from when I saw it the first time was, you don't love me, you want me to love you. And I just think that's, like, huge. That's, that's, that's the movie. That's a line, me. man. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, so that's what it's all about. But, uh. <laughs> we got there. We got there. Um, I, I did want to just mention also briefly, like, a couple of things that I noticed, um, because I, like, personally really, uh, like the, (laughs) the cabinet of Dr. Caligari and, like, Fritz Lang and stuff. Apparently one of his, uh, um, big influences, like, are... Like, is that, you know, German expressionism and that kind of stuff. So, yeah, like, watching you, and that you can see it. And John Ford pictures. Yeah, and John Ford. And one. John Ford. Yeah. So, but I think you can see that, too, like, especially, like, in the newsroom where you have, like, the very stark, uh, like, backlit people. And part of the reason for that is because a bunch of people that appear later in the film uh, are in that scene. And if you saw their faces, it would be confusing and weird. So that's why they're all backlit. So the, the newsroom where they're like, so what are we going to do? You go out and do this. Like, whatever. Right. <laughs> you know the scene I'm talking about, like, in the very beginning. Yeah, they're they're almost um, kind of like uh, faceless gray men. Yeah. <laughs> but that's also, you know, German expressionism. Right. Um, and then, like, the canted angle, like, with the snow globe falling. Like, you know, it just, I think that's really neat that uh, you can kind of see those those influences in his work while he's still kind of created something that is right and and it's very all those things are now iconic yeah and all those things are now staples of the film and how you you make stuff but it wasn't really at the time everything was 
you know, get your your three people in the master <laughs> in the mm-hmm. master shot, and then you'll do close-ups if we want to emphasize something. Yeah. But like it was. Match on action. It it was um prior to Citizen Kane coming out, uh, film was not as much of an art form as it became. Yeah, it'd been around put for it that like, way. what fifty years at that point. Yeah, but I mean, commercialized <laughs> for less than that. For less than that, yeah. Word. Well, I think we've done a good job covering it. Should we pick next week's movie? Yeah, I think I said most of what I wanted to say. And if I wanted to say anything else, I forgot it. So it couldn't have been that important. All right. Well, thank you. Other than I wanted to say that that was a fucking bitchin' fireplace. (laughs) Did we not mention, did we mention the fireplace? We 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 did. Okay. It's like he's standing in the fire. That was a dank fucking fireplace. It was awesome. I want my whole house to be that fireplace. Oh, yeah, that's right. I mentioned that it was like a. It's dope. Yeah. It's dope. (laughs) Dope. (laughs) Okay. Well, um, let me see. We're going to be off next week, but the week after that. Um, so we're trying to pick a movie. Is Kyan may be with us yeah. as as a thing. So he suggested, uh, I, I said this incorrectly before. I said No Country for Old Men, <laughs> which is not what I meant. Which um, we did receive. The other there one, will There Will Be, be blood. blood. The one that's that was like right alongside of it. Okay. And, and which has been often compared to Citizen Kane. Yeah. So that's a... Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. So that's a possible candidate. Do you guys have Weird, any? But okay. Uh, no, it was the story of a... Uh, yeah, no, uh, I, I don't necessarily... Well, you know, if Cayenne will be on it, I might be on it, but... Yeah. Um, but Two other movies that we could possibly do on. is what I'm saying. Well, if he's not on it, should we, like, do it? Like, so if he is on the podcast, then we should do There Will Be Blood. And if not, then well, we no, should pick something else. Well, no, because he wants to do There Will well, Be but Blood. But we got to tell our listeners what to watch for next time. Well, then, ju- then just there will be blood. So whether if Cayenne... That's a possibility. That's I mean, Cayenne said, maybe we'll do there will be blood. It doesn't mean that, like, we're doing that oh, one with him. Oh, I thought you were going to let him pick because he's a special guest that wouldn't normally be on the show, and that was what he wanted to watch. No, I was just like, uh, be on the show. He's like, okay, cool. I'm like, do you have any suggestions? He said, there will that? be blood is a suggestion. I said, okay, I sweet. Great. All that stuff. But, um... The way we normally do this is we suggest uh, quite a few movies and then we Rochambeau for it or, or yeah, just no, that. I, we'll, I we'll continue doing that. Okay. Like, it's not like Kyan's not going to be on if, if we don't do his movie. Right, right. What's going on? Nothing. I just wondered what Pogue was doing. He's just sitting on a pile of blankets. Yes. Okay. I'll submit another Orson Welles movie. Uh, let me throw in F for Fake. F for Fake, eh? Welles' documentary. Do you have a suggestion, Tess, of a movie we could do? Uh, well, um, ooh, War of the Worlds. The Spielberg? Yep. Oh, wow. yeah. That one's fun. It's weird. Spoilers. It They're killed. No, okay, I won't say it. Um. <laughs> Spoilers. America hated the ending. Spoilers! Spoilers. America is right. Um... Let's see. What is it, uh, we don't do that many 80s movies. What can I think of from the 80s? The Accused? The uh, Judge, Judge, Judge. I don't like that movie, but but I, I'd have thoughts on it. Wait, you've seen The Accused? 
Uh, yeah, it came I thought that out was for the, my project. Okay, that was the script that we... <laughs> that's what we <laughs> named the thing that we were like, we should make that, that modern-day D&D game into a movie when we were kids. Uh, yes, yes, that is correct. Yeah, I have seen The Accused with Jodie Foster. Yes, this with Jodie Foster. Okay, so I've suggested The Accused, we got There Will Be Blood, we've got F is for Fake, and War of the Worlds. Yeah, I said War of the Worlds. Okay, who wants to put up what? Oh, so how does this work? This you nominate one. Oh, I'm putting up F is for fake. Okay, you're nominating your own. Yeah. I'll nominate There Will Be Blood in case Cayenne's on. Okay, I'll nominate War of the Worlds. That'll be fun. Okay. And what do we do? Rochambeau. Okay. Uh, Free for all. Okay. One, two, three, wah. Ro Rochambeau. Oh. I'm out. Okay. <laughs> I, I threw rock. Uh, scissors, they threw okay. rock. One, two, three, go. And then they're both paper. Both paper. Paper Damn. over rock. Tess wins, and so that means <laughs> we're doing There Will Be Blood. I don't even want to watch that again. I hope Kyan's You don't on. want to drink a milkshake? You'd better get Kyan's. Oh, on. yeah, let's all drink milkshakes and watch it. Oh, that would be I'm fun. gonna message. I'm gonna. Oh, <laughs> I'm gonna message him oh, on Facebook and be like, "Hey, you better shakes. be on because I got your movie." Indeed. Well, we were talking about uh, next week, and I decided so I have to work will all the Daniel days. Daniel so. Day Lewis's milkshakes bring cayenne to the yard. Hmm. Maybe, hmm. maybe, maybe they will. Maybe, possibly. Let's find out. Um. Okay. So uh, that's the podcast then. We've, That's the we've, podcast. we've completed it. So good night, everybody. Good night, everybody. Theme song, right? Theme song. <laughs> Carnivorous couch. It happens once a week. It swallows us for two hours when we try to sleep. It forces us to watch a film about which we then speak. Carnivorous couch. With Brady and Rob. Bapping your mic around. <laughs>